Welcome to the Optimal Performance Guide, where we have conversations with high-level humans to provide clear guidance to the mindset and habits required for optimal performance. I'm your host, Rory Cordial. Okay, guys, I'm super excited to have my good friend Isabella Boylston on the show today. Bella is an absolute superstar athlete and artist performing all over the world as a principal dancer with the American Ballet Theater in New York City. She has danced lead roles in numerous ballets, including Romeo and Juliet, Giselle, Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty, and the list goes on. She was invited to guest star with the prestigious Paris Opera Ballet, the Marinsky Ballet in St. Petersburg, Russia, the Royal Danish Ballet, and once again, the list goes on. Bella is the founding artistic director of Ballet Sun Valley, which is a festival where she provides free dance classes and brings world-class ballet to her hometown. She produced and starred in the film Early Sunday Morning, which premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. She plays Jennifer Lawrence's dance double in Red Sparrow, in addition to appearing as herself as the principal dancer in the film's closing sequence. She's collaborated with a number of brands and been featured in countless publications. So, basically, she's kind of a big deal. But you would never know it because she's so humble and kind. Okay, enough talking. Let's get to the show. So, Bella, thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. Yeah, I'm super excited. For those that know you, they will know this, but those that don't, I mean, you're just such a light in this world. You're <laughs> when, Every time I see you, you have such joy and just such positive energy and it's like you have energy inside of you that's beyond you. It's like, it's almost like explosive, but in such a positive way. So I'm super excited because you're just a great human. And then on top of that, you're obviously world-class athlete, world-class artist. Uh, there's so many hats that you wear, but so super. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, I've always been like very extroverted, <laughs> so maybe that's what you're picking up on, but um, okay. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you because, I mean, you've actually had a huge impact on my career going back to when you kind of basically saved my knee. (laughs) I was having like horrible chronic patellar tendonitis for like, I mean, ever since I was a teenager and working with you was kind of the first time that I was able to get it under control. And I was just, I mean, it was such a relief, especially because I'm like, considered a jumper in the ballet world so like all my roles involve a ton of jumping and I was just like pushing through so much pain so thank you (laughs) yeah I'm so glad wait you're considered a jumper is that just because why I guess I naturally like can jump really high I guess (laughs) and I also just have always liked jumping I feel like in ballet you're either like a adagio mover, which means you move slow or you're a jumper or you're a turner. So I feel like if I had to just pick one, I'm a jumper. (laughs) Okay. So we're in this COVID-19, this pandemic. It's pretty crazy. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, on the one hand, I feel super fortunate. I'm alive. I love my apartment. Um, 
But yeah, I've been sheltering in Brooklyn with my husband, Dan. He's been working from home and I've obviously can't really do my job at the moment because my job depends on like, you know, close physical interactions with a lot of people and also having a large number of people gather in the audience. So it's not really mm-hmm. feasible. I kind of went through a dark patch when it was announced that our our season was canceled. Um, basically, we had a bunch of tours lined up to like Abu Dhabi and Chicago and Detroit. And one by one, they just started getting canceled and then pretty shortly after that, it was announced that our our big New York season would be canceled. And that was a downer just because it is, it's, it's like our playoff season, basically, at Lincoln Center. It's like what we train the whole year for, and um, we do eight shows a week. And it's, I don't know, it's always really grueling, but so rewarding. So when they announced that that was canceled, I was pretty bummed out. But I've you know, I've gotten out of the my like dark place now and I'm trying to stay positive. Yeah. Great. That so eight wait, eight shows a week? Yeah. It sounds shows. like a lot. There's only seven it's, days in a week, right? I know, right? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, it's actually so uh two days a week there's two shows. Um and then every other day there's one and then Sunday is you get one day off. But um I actually, so I'm a principal dancer. So that means that I only do like probably no more than four shows a week, usually more like one or two shows a week. Um, but when I was in the corps de ballet, which is like the starting point when you join the company, I did eight shows a week and that was so tough. Oh my God. Can you explain to the listeners so the Corday Ballet. Cor- yes, Corday Ballet. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Your French uh, yeah. is impeccable. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, Soloist. I was thinking almost like double A, triple A, major leagues, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm trying to totally. equate it because I'm not super versed in the ballet <laughs> world, but definitely am in human movement and and Mm -hmm. top performers. So I think it would be interesting just to hear the structure of, first of all, ABT, like the Yankees, right? It's like, this is is a, and globally, or I'm thinking Real Madrid, people all over the world want to be part of ABT, the company you're with. Totally. That was, yeah, that was a really good (laughs) comparison, actually. ABT, it's around 80 dancers. Um, And then on top of that, we have a crew of like stagehands, We have full orchestra of musicians. We have coaches, trainers, physical therapists. So basically all of that and administration, all of that makes up ABT. And ABT is one of the best companies in the world. It was always my dream. Um, Some of the most like famous dancers that have danced with ABT are Mikhail Baryshnikov, who people have probably heard of, Misty Copeland. We share a dressing room actually, and we're really good friends. So yeah, ABT has always just been known for its ballet stars. And so ever since I was a kid, that was my dream to join ABT. And also ABT tours internationally a lot, which is another thing that I really love about it. What is the path to principle? It it definitely depends. Um, so my path was I was in the corps de ballet for five years. Then I was a soloist for, I think, two years. And then I was a principal. I've been a principal for six years now. But everyone's path is really different. Some people get promoted to principal in their 30s. Some people get promoted when they're like 21. 
Um, there's a whole range and a lot of it depends on timing too. Hundreds of thousands of aspiring dancers want to join a company like ABT. And from that, they probably take maybe six, seven dancers a year. And then from the corps to ballet, an even smaller number becomes a soloist. And then out of that, even smaller number becomes a principal. So it is so competitive. Wow. It's not a stepping stone to just now you spent your time here and now you're a principal. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, the best of the best, right? Like, right. Not everyone's yeah. going to make the major leagues in baseball. Oh, and a typical season, what does that look like? Okay. So our year is structured. So we have 36 weeks out of the year that we're on contract with ABT. So basically January through July is nonstop go, go, go tours internationally, tours around America. Um, and then the eight week season at Lincoln Center. Then basically midway through July and August is vacation. <laughs> Do whatever you want with your life. And then September, we start ramping it back up. We have shows again in New York in October. And then November's off, and then we hit it super hard again in December for Nutcracker. Yeah, we wow, usually so do there's... Nutcracker on the West Coast. Oh, and Sarah and I watch you dance there. That's a yes. <laughs> I mean, that's the only time I've seen you dance live, but I was blown away. One thing that stuck out huge was your ability to be aware of yourself on stage and to move so fast and be spinning and jumping. And to stop in an instant, like at the edge of the stage, just the mm-hmm. awareness, the body awareness mm-hmm. of globally of the stage and then mm-hmm. of your own body. And, yeah. you know, what is yeah, that like? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I think ballet dancers, there's a ton of direction changes in ballet and they have to be zero to 60 super fast. Another thing, having the ability to change your physical dynamics really quickly. So like going from super fast, precise movements to super slow to really quick turns. It does help, I think, in ballet if you have a pretty quick muscle twitch. It just helps with like jumping and dynamics. So I I don't feel like I'm like the best ever at that, but I'm pretty physically blessed (laughs) at that. (laughs) I'm curious about, it's like this bridge between athlete and artist. Obviously, athletically, you have to have the talent, the ability to move like this. Artistically, can you put into words how you use your body as an artist? Yeah, totally. I mean, people ask me all the time, so are you an athlete or an artist? And I think the answer is you're 100% both. How I try to think of it is using my physicality and using the ballet steps to express emotion. And I think that's what's so unique about ballet. It has the ability to like communicate to the audience, communicate powerful emotions without words, which is really cool. I think also the more technically and athletically strong and able you are, the more articulation and ability you can have to emote actually. So the athletic and the artistic side go hand in hand. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm thinking about, I mean, clearly you're a master of your craft. I think about the the road to mastery because it's it's not an endpoint, right? It's always Mm -hmm. evolving. Sarah, my wife got to work on a project with Iliad Kipchoga. I'm probably saying his name wrong, so I apologize. But he's the (laughs) the marathoner that ran sub two hour marathon. That's crazy. (laughs) But I saw such a great quote where he said, this took 10 years of working six days a week to be in a position to run this. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you spent a long time mm-hmm. working very, very hard. That's what popped in my head as you're describing this artistic ability. The more you're aware of your body and into your body, the more freedom it unlocks to be artistic. Yeah. But it doesn't happen overnight. No, not at all. I mean, by the time I was 14, I was already training for, or even younger, actually. Well, yeah, when I was 11 is when I... I would start doing summer intensives and then I'd be training for like seven, eight hours a day. Um, And then I went to boarding school for high school and then I would be training. That was so hard. (laughs) That was probably (laughs) one of the hardest times in my life Um, because I would go to public school from like seven to noon and then I would dance from noon to six, seven every single day. I would dance on Saturday too. That Where in the world hard. are we? Oh, in Florida. In, Boca in Florida? Zone, Florida. Yeah, there's actually a really good tennis academy around there. I should know this. Uh, yeah. I think it's just skipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan would probably know. But um, so yeah, so then from there, and then when I was 17... Before my senior year in high school, I got recruited by ABT, but my parents made me go back and finish high school and I was so mad. <laughs> but Are you now happy I, they now, made you? Totally. Now I so appreciate it and I, they definitely did the right thing as parents. So obviously you're a principal dancer, you're at the elite of the elite. At a young age, you said this has kind of been your dream. Did you have this vision of you dancing on stage like you are today? Where did this drive come from? Yeah, I don't know. I always dreamed that I would be an ABT, but I honestly don't think I had any idea of how I stacked up compared to other dancers my own age. I think I was very not confident in a way in my ability. And I think it took me getting to ABT and took me like years of even being a professional dancer to just be able to build up my confidence, um, to like, feel like I belong here. I deserve this just because ballet. I mean, I, I think sports are very similar, like where you're just subjected to a lot of criticism. It's such a fine line between taking all the criticism and using it to make you better, but then still having the confidence you need to get out on stage in front of thousands of people. Yeah. When I think of ballet, I kind of picture some harsh criticism, some negative feedback. This is not good enough. This is not good Mm -hmm. enough. Do it again. I have no idea if that's accurate, but Mm -hmm. how have you learned to, to filter that negative criticism and turn it positive? Yeah, that's so true. It's very accurate. Like I think honestly, the harshest criticism I've taken was really when I was in high school at boarding school. Cause I mean, they would critique your body, just like how, you know, every little thing about you. Just like um, how you looked aesthetically or totally, how you performed. Like, totally. They, you know, they, they would talk to you about weight. They would talk to you about, um, like just your proportions. Like this is so weird, but one of my teachers had a hang up about being like, Oh, your neck isn't long enough to be a ballerina, stuff like that. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, that is pretty rough. That was Wait, and rough. how old were you when you're getting that feedback? 15, 16. Yeah, so how, yeah. are, we, how are we equipped with the tools to filter that you know, appropriately yeah. or not, right? We're not. We're wow. not. Yeah, it's interesting. I have such mixed feelings about it. There's one teacher that I had at boarding school who I'm really close with and she was the <clears> most <throat> amazing teacher and I really credit her, her Victoria Schneider I just credit her with like giving me a really strong base and she was never like 
she never said anything like that. She was always very nurturing and very sensitive and conscientious about how to talk to a young dancer. So I'm really grateful for her. She really mentored me. But yeah, I think it got easier when I became a professional dancer because honestly, the criticism became less harsh, weirdly, when I became a professional dancer. I think people in ABT had a better way of communicating. Is ABT like a family? Is it ultra competitive? Obviously, there's competition to get to your level. What's the environment? Is it friendly? Is it not? It's a very friendly company. And I think it's pretty unique in that way. I've guested at other companies and I think ABT is really special. Like we are so close. And of course we are in competition, obviously sometimes like you're competing to get the same parts. But I think part of it is like our director, Kevin is a very gracious and kind person. And he doesn't fear where we're on edge and like freaked out. He creates a very nurturing and kind, warm atmosphere to work in. Kevin, your director, he had a great quote when I was researching about your... Oh, really? Just talking about, yeah. He talks about your kinetic intelligence. So your intelligence with your body moving. Um, Can you take me through a game day for you kind of situation. Do you remember your first principal role? Oh, definitely. Very well. (laughs) Can you take it like, what was that? Where were you? Yeah. So my first principal role was the role of theme and variations. It's choreographed by George Balanchine and it's known as the hardest ballet ever made. It's brutally hard. I was 22 and ABT went on tour to Cuba And that was my debut in Havana at the Karl Marx Theater. (laughs) And um, in front of like, it's a huge theater, maybe like 5,000 people or something. And I was so nervous. I mean, honestly, I feel like all I can really say is that I got through it and I survived. (laughs) I don't think it was like, (laughs) certainly not a definitive performance in that role, but I needed to like, you know, break the ice and get out there. And I worked really, really hard for it. And um, the experience that I gained was just so valuable. And I've done that ballet many times since then. And I think it's improved a lot. At 22, before that performance, you're in Cuba the night before, do you sleep eight hours? Is it just, are you just sleeping great? Are you... Did you fly in the day so the day before or were you there for a week or and then day of the show? Did you have any routine at that time at 22 to prep your mind or your body to perform? Not really. Honestly, I think I was kind of an idiot. I just remember drinking like, <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> like what are like hyperemias or something? <laughs> Wait, Mojitos. What's that? I was drinking mojitos like the week of, obviously I've learned a lot about how to take care of my body since then. I, and I was so nervous. I actually got sick. I got like some kind of like flu because I was so nervous. I just remember like I couldn't sleep very well. I think the day of the show, I even went to the beach. (laughs) Like literally everything that I would never do now. Did you go to the Um, beach to try to calm your nerves? No, I went to the beach with my friends. I was like, I think this is going to be better than staying in my hotel room, having a heart attack and freaking out. So I went to the beach and, you know, like chilled out for a little bit. Of course, now I would never do that because walking on sand is terrible for a dancer the day of the show. It's like the worst thing you can do for your calves. Um, (laughs) But yeah. 
Of I've course, but just the, yeah, just to grow. It's so fun to hear you speak about that. And I see like, I totally see the young dancers now doing the same thing. They're like doing a prince, their first principal role. And they're just like, I don't know. I think you just don't even realize what you're doing at that age. And it's okay, right? To totally do perfect. Absolutely. You have to live your life. That's how you, you have to, it's so important to live your life because otherwise you'll have nothing interesting to say on stage. I like how you said that. What does that mean? How do you speak on stage? Uh, yeah, just like with your body and the music, I think. It's the way your body interprets the music, I think, is the way that you like convey that emotion to the audience. And does that just deepen as you grow as a person? Yeah, for sure. And also, I do a lot of story ballets, so I'm telling stories through ballet. If you're playing a character who's like had her heart broken or, I'll, you know... Just, I feel like in the order to tell the story of Juliet, it helps to just draw on your own life experiences. That's why I think even like the, you know, the oldest dancers in our company are the most powerful artists because they've had this whole lifetime to gather and learn and evolve. Can you tell me how you connect to the audience? If I'm on stage, if I'm you, or can you put us into your shoes do you see the audience? Is it just hearing? How do you connect? I can't really like see them because it's really dark in the house, but I can feel them. It's like a weird like electricity almost. And honestly, the best shows are when the audience is so hyped. Like when you feel their energy, um, it just pushes you to another level. So I love it when the audience is loud. I'm always like, make some noise, get into it. Cause you really like the audience and the performer, you eat off each other. I'm sure athletes probably feel the same with the crowd, I bet. For sure. What about time? I'm, I'm asking this question, a friend of mine, Andrew Huberman's a neuroscientist at Stanford. And I told him I was oh, interviewing cool. you and he was so fascinated. He's interested in, in the brain and uh -huh. our perception and how we shape our reality when you're performing how do you experience time on stage that's such a good question no one's ever asked me that I love that question um you know what it depends like I I always talk about how what I'm striving for my goal every time I go out on stage is to be in the moment to not think about my critics or my haters or pain in my body but to just be so pure and in the moment almost like a child you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. all the self-consciousness just slips away. So anyways, that's my goal. And of course, it's not always attainable. But when you do have those performances, time definitely changes. Like I'll do the whole show and then I'll just be like, what just happened? Like, <laughs> um, it's like, I don't know if it's like time freezes or something. But that's yeah, so those are amazing. And that's why I dance for like nights like those. It's so fun to hear you. Speak about that. Um, <laughs> how does music help you get into that space? Music is so huge. Um, well, I listen to music before the show to get pumped up. And then the music just gives you something to focus on to try to get rid of the, those like self-conscious feelings and feelings of nerves and like self-criticism. I'll just really try to feel the music and get into it. And then it takes me to another place. Is music always live when you perform orchestra? Um, with ABT, usually. I think it's really important. But there are certain ballets like, have you seen In the Upper Room? Mm -mm. Oh, oh my God, you would lose your mind. It's the best ballet, like my favorite ballet. And Dan 
is obsessed with it too. It's his favorite ballet too. Oh, definitely going. It's to this. just so cool. Um, but that ballet is actually to recorded music, but it's still really powerful. Like you feel like you're at like a rock concert because they blast it, and then there's like smoke on stage. It's really really cool. <laughs> when you're dancing, are you ever conscious of your breathing? Oh, that's a really good question too. I know a lot of dancers who really think about it and you can tell by the way they breathe. It's almost like, I don't know, they're very conscious of how they use their breath to like help with stamina because ballet is exhausting. I mean, it's so hard to get through certain sections. Um, I personally have am not very conscious of my breathing, I guess. Like maybe mm -hmm. I should be. I could probably benefit from that. But yeah, I guess I don't really think about it that much. I've also been pretty strong stamina wise, which is lucky for now. Although when I was younger, I would, oh my God, like after my first studio run through of theme and variations, the ballet that I was telling you about, that's so hard. It ends with your partner lifting you. And the second he put me down, I like walked out of the studio and just projectile threw up on the carpet oh outside gosh. the door. I know. Like, I'm sure that happens to athletes too, right? When they but wait, cause you themselves. pushed your, sorry. Cause you pushed yourself to such a limit. Is that why? Oh. Yeah. I pushed myself to such a limit and then beyond. And then I just threw up, but that's happened to like when I was younger, that would happen to me. I would throw up in the wings after something really hard. I think it was just like, maybe I hadn't learned how to breathe back then. Now that hasn't happened to me in a long time, thankfully, because it's not fun. <laughs> That's interesting because I definitely see this as a consistent thread through highest level performers. That ability to push, I call it like the red line or like your body's like, this is super hard, stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You push through. Yeah. So I think that is consistent on the highest level, but that is mm -hmm. not normal just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I think there's something wrong with us for sure. <laughs> oh my God. But like, yeah, it's true. But ballet is the only time I'll push myself to that extreme. Like if I'm working out, I'll be so lazy and I don't want to get to that point. But with ballet, there's no question. I'm like, we're going there. <laughs> um, can we do one more kind of game day scenario, but go to, you danced Giselle. I think you danced with, with your friend James mm -hmm. and you injured your ankle. Yeah. That's can sucks. you talk me through, well, you were 22 for the first principal performance. What was your prep for this? Has it changed? My prep has changed a lot. I'm very regimented with my sleep. I try to get nine hours of sleep before the show. I don't really drink the night before, just water. Um, and then the day of, I wake up, I go to class, I warm up. And then I'm a little like superstitious about this. I always have to like rehearse a little bit with my coach arena just like at least try a few moves and then I go and uh, I'll eat pasta like a big meal of pasta like four or five hours before the show or even pasta and pizza <laughs> I know that <laughs> sounds so crazy but I'm like I need carbs um and then your I'll body take... how did you know that does your body just tell you from experience yeah you do well on carbs I do well on carbs and and also I get really nervous the day of shows and it's like one of the only things that I can eat without feeling sick. Of course. Um, so, so yeah, then I'll take a nap. Then I'll wake up. I'll drink coffee. Like two hours before the show, I drink coffee. What um, time is it? And then I, it's, so this is like around probably five, five thirty. 
Um, and then I'll. And where are we? Sorry. At the theater. At the theater. In what city? In New York City. So okay, we're, we're in at, New York like, City. We're at the Met Opera House in Lincoln Center. Um, for the for Giselle, is that where you were at? For Giselle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, oh, it's so funny. I remember that day, like, Giselle is a very, very moody, dark ballet. And I remember, like, reading Edgar Allan Poe's poetry to, like, get in the mood, that sort of gothic vibe. Oh, um, and, yeah, I, I love, like, reading before the shows, actually. Like, the day of, I mean, like, not just sitting and reading, but, like, going through highlighted passages to give me inspiration and get me in the mood. Um, Wow. Do you yeah, read so, specifically for the character or just read yeah. period? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I read for the character. Yeah. Then I go up and uh, Jill Haley is my amazing hair and makeup person. And she'll like get me all glammed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm like, okay, I'm getting into character. <laughs> then I go on stage and like, uh, I like to be alone on stage when the opera house is empty and the curtains open and you just look out at all the seats and like, just, I try to just like feel my feet planted into the stage and feel grounded. Like this is my home <laughs> and I get warmed up and then I'll just do the show. But yeah, that particular show of Giselle, I act one went great and I felt so good. And then I started act two and uh, I start with this really crazy solo where you do these hops on one leg, rotating super fast. It looks like a cyclone when it's done really well. I'll send you a video. Oh yeah, please. Um, and then I did my hops faster than I'd ever done them. And then the audience started clapping so loud. I couldn't even hear the music. And then I got really hyped. So then I started jumping just higher than I ever have. And I just couldn't control my landing and I landed and I just felt this searing pain in my ankle and I knew something was not right. And then I got off stage and I was limping. I like couldn't walk. In Giselle, you have a bunch of different entrances and I was just so mad because I felt like I had worked so hard to prepare for this show and it just felt like I only get like maybe one show of Giselle a season. So it's a really big deal. And, um, like I had a ton of friends and fans in the audience and I just felt so bummed. Um, but I kept going and James tells a story really funny that I was just like cry dancing through the entire act (laughs) and I would go off stage and I would just be like weeping. Um, but I don't know, you get so much strength from the corps de ballet, my friends, all of them were out there with me. And I remember every time I would go off stage, they would be surrounding me, patting me on the back, bringing me water, being like, you can do it. And so that just got me through. And I finished the show and my coaches ran back and were really worried, obviously, because I had been looking not like myself. Mm -hmm. (sighs) And then, yeah, and then I was out. And honestly, I don't feel like my ankle has ever been the same, which really sucks. Man, that must have been such a difficult moment for you. I mean, Giselle, it's like your Super Bowl, so I get the magnitude. But then the physical therapist inside of me is saying, stop dancing. I know. (laughs) I like, I couldn't though. I just felt like I had to keep going in any capacity that I could. Why? 
Just because I guess I like had to prove it to myself that I could. And I also knew there were so many people there like there. I mean, I get messages on Instagram from little girls in like Kansas and they're like, I'm I'm flying in just for your show. It's my dream. My mom's been saving up money to see you. And so I don't want to let them down. Well, I really admire that in you. You push your body and your mind way beyond normal boundaries and you do it because you love ballet so much and you care so much about the girls that look up to you. I have this image of Carrie Strug popping in my head when she stuck the landing for gold with the sprained ankle. Oh my God, that was so hard to watch though. Yeah, but she had one jump to stick the landing with the sprained ankle for gold but you basically stuck the landing for half the show. So I really admire your grit and toughness. I love that ballet is starting to be more appreciated in the athletic sense. I know maybe some people get mad when people describe it as a sport, but personally, I don't. I love that because I think the key to a lot of people being able to appreciate it is being able to understand the athletic extremes that we push ourselves to and just being able to appreciate that rather than imagining like a little girl tiptoeing around in a pink tutu. Yeah. Cause that's far from the truth, huh? Yeah. Especially totally. at your level. Yeah. Yeah. It's can you, tough. can you let us know a little bit about on the body side, the physical demands that you're mm-hmm. talking about at the peak, how many hours a day are you training? How many days a week? Um, up to nine hours a day, six days a week, which is, I know. Yeah. There's no sport or I'm not sure there's many things that have that kind of time on the body. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's really intense. I guess you just get used to it, honestly. But I have to say when I have those nine hour days, I'm not a happy person. It's too much. I think my sweet spot is like six hours a day. Is that more normal? Um, I would say typical is probably like eight hours a day. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's consistently throughout your season. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So six is good for you. I think six is good for me, especially just like to manage injuries. Because with my ankle injury, when I would have nine hour days, by the end of the day, my ankle would be so swollen. I couldn't even stand on point or point my foot. It just looked like a golf club out there, you know? Mm. Um, I just think like maybe it's good for the younger dancers to have such intense schedules. But I feel like the more experienced you get, you don't need that. And it's actually becomes counterproductive. Of course. You've put the time on your body. Your body Mm -hmm. has that memory. Mm -hmm. I think it's for sure at your level, you don't don't need that. You don't need it. Time on the body. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reason they end up working us nine hours a day, it's mainly to be if you're learning new choreography, because it takes hours to learn an entire ballet. So if I'm doing a new role or working with a choreographer, my workload will be really heavy. (laughs) Right. And is that every year? Is that happening? There's always new rules. Yeah. Yeah. But the certain ones like Giselle, is that always the exact same dance, the same role? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like the way you do it changes, but it's the same choreography. So once you know it, you like know it for life, which is good. 
Yeah. If you're learning a new role, how emotionally tough are you on yourself as far as demanding, I guess? Very demanding. I think just because we do these legendary ballets like Swan Lake, I've seen so many amazing ballerinas do it. So I, especially when I first started doing it, I felt so much pressure to live up to that, live up to all the people who did it before me. But I feel like now that pressure is less where I'm like, I just need to be better than I was last time. Not I need to be better than someone else. And I think that's helped me a lot to kind of switch my mindset to just be like competing with me. Very healthy mindset. Definitely. But <laughs> hey, as you know, it's not always easy to go there. Yeah. Do you have any specific goal, any performance or space you're moving towards? I guess one goal would be to like, guest with the Royal Ballet in London. I've already gotten to guest with the Paris Opera Ballet, which was a huge deal because they don't really hire many Americans. And the Mariinsky Ballet in Russia, that was another dream. So that was really cool. But at the same time, like, oh, I just am disappointed because when I got that opportunity at Paris Opera, my ankle was still injured. And when I watch the videos, I can like see it. And I'm like, oh, I just wish I would have been able to do that opportunity when I was completely healthy. But yeah, I think the Royal Ballet is one thing that I would really love to do. So we'll see. Hopefully, maybe one day they'll call me. (laughs) (laughs) With this strive to have this perfect performance, does it exist? Are you ever super happy like this is the best performance ever? Or is it always, man, I could have done this better? Yeah, it's never perfect. Like there's literally never been a performance where I was like, there's always something I wish I could have done better. Um, I would say there are shows where I'm really happy with myself, but it's not the majority of the shows, unfortunately. (laughs) (sighs) That makes you great because that's consistent from my experience being around Mm -hmm. these top performers. Mm -hmm. There's this drive and just, it's almost never satisfied at some point because you're just always striving to be better and better and better. Uh, Totally. Are you able, when you do get to go on vacation, are you able to switch off and just oh, just relax and for how long? I mean, honestly, I'm trying to think like, I don't know. I think the most I've taken off is like a week in the past few years, but generally I'll still put my point shoes on because your toes, like you need the calluses. And if I don't wear my point shoes for a week, like they'll be totally like blistered and bloody. So I have to keep my point shoes on. Even if I'm on vacation, I always bring them. (laughs) And um, I'll try to do a little bit of moving around. I really like hiking, actually. So that's one of my favorite things to do on vacation. And that makes me feel like I'm still charging up my quads and doing something. So um, I feel like right now, I'm, I mean, I'm still working out a lot, but This has kind of been like a welcome break. I think I'm realizing that I was a little burned out actually. And I think I'm going to be able to like focus and work more in a better way when I get back. Your body's probably pushed back hard at the beginning. Like, wait, (laughs) let's keep going. But in the long run. Like I feel like my legs are getting so skinny and I'm like, (laughs) oh, this sucks. But my ankle's not swollen. That's good. (laughs) And my knee feels great. If we remove COVID, what do you feel like your body needs just to charge up? 
I think jumping is the big thing. Just that impact. You need that impact to build up your strength in your legs. So I think if I just started doing a lot of like jumping and like squats and stuff like that, that would probably help a lot. Your husband, Dan, is the best. He's awesome. He's so awesome. He's so Uh, awesome. You know, he's gotten really into surfing. What? Yeah, he goes surfing in the Rockaways like at least a couple times a week, even in the winter, which I think is so crazy. Cold Cold, water is my worst nightmare. I'm like, that's so bad. No. (laughs) But he loves it. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And Dan is so funny. He's so funny. No, but I really appreciate that he's like an athlete too. And he totally gets it, you know? Yeah. Tell me, being married to Dan, how's that helped you as a ballerina? Because your career, to push to the edge that you have to push, you have to be selfish uh, mm-hmm. with your time, with your energy. Um, yeah. So not every partner is going to be a great formula for no. where, what you're doing, but Dan's amazing. So. He's so amazing. He's so supportive. He's helped me to approach my career in a way that is more assertive to just like be able to say what I want and need and be able to communicate to the higher ups better. Cause I think in ballet, in the ballet company, it's so hierarchical, um, especially for female ballerinas, it's just harder to feel like you can communicate. Um, And he's helped me with that a lot. And also just hyping me up before the show. He would tell me to just swag up. And then I love it. He'll send me pictures of like basketball players. What's the guy who like has little bags and stuff? He's always so stylish. Uh, Yeah, I should know this. My God, I'm... I'm going to ask Dan. Is it Kevin Durant? No. Well, anyways, he'll send me pictures of these guys walking into the stadium with just so much confidence and swag. And he'll be like, this is your house. You just need to own it. And I don't know, just really helping me build up my confidence. And I mean, yeah. And I feel like it's obviously not that fun to be around me when I'm in season because I'm tired. I'm always hungry and tired and cranky and like nervous and um, he definitely has to put up with a lot of like bad energy <laughs> when I'm like freaking out before the show. I think of ballerinas and this like beauty and art. Is the ballet world more male dominated or females? Who directors, who runs the show? Is it more women or men? It's, or? it's more male dominated. It's very, I mean, I'm very lucky because it's one of the only fields where women have equal pay. So that's awesome. Um, I, I've never had to like fight to get paid the same as my male colleagues, but, um, at the same time, the majority of the directors are male, pretty much all the choreographers are male. It's very rare when you get to work with a woman choreographer, although in recent years, there's been a lot of um, attention on that. And so they're changing, it's changing, which is awesome. Um, also the executive director of ABT is a badass. She's a like HBS graduate. And um, so it's very cool to have women in the upper ranks. And I think it is changing. I'm very optimistic. And you're the art director, founder of Ballet Sun Valley, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually started producing and directing my own shows now, which has been really fun. I just love it. It's so exciting for me to get to curate the program and then see like my friends and young talent shine and being able to give them those opportunities. 
What's your creative process like for creating your show? I kind of just start with a fantasy, like who are my dream dancers and what do I want to see them in? Like what is my dream role for them? And then I just start, and then I just start putting out the asks and, um, yeah, so far it's been really good. When you said fantasy, because you love re- uh, reading fantasy, mm-hmm. right? I oh love my. it, yeah. And you also, did you not have TV growing up? Yeah, I grew up with no TV. I mean, yeah, when I was a kid, um, like we lived in a trailer in Idaho, a trailer park, like very, you know, nothing fancy at all, no TV. Um, but I, it just like forced me to get outside. And um, I, I do feel like very like a free-spirited ballerina I guess and I think a lot of that honestly comes from growing up in Idaho in the Mountain West being outside and it fed my creativity. I listened to one interview you said that a book you like is Name of the Wind. Name of the Wind you have to read the Name of the Wind. It's my favorite Mm -hmm. Oh my my gosh so so I I just looked that up and uh-huh. that author s- speaks about the book and he is fascinating because he also grew up in a rural area, it sounds like. Oh and he spent I didn't seven- even know that about him. Oh yeah. So he, he loved fantasy and he said, so he spent mm-hmm. seven years, he calls it writing the story because I guess it's a trilogy. Yeah. Is that correct? We're still waiting for book three. I'm like, where is book three, Patrick? <laughs> Patrick is brilliant. So this guy, he uh, is. I find it interesting that you gravitated towards fantasy. And when I just clicked on this guy, he's brilliant. You have a brilliant mind. So it's it's interesting oh. that, because I'm thinking fantasy, you can kind of just explore. You can just let go, right? Explore. Totally. Totally. And I feel like, yeah, it's helped me a lot with ballet, just like reading a lot of fantasy and sci-fi, just like opening your imagination. I mean, you probably don't have time to read because you have a a 10 month old, but if you have time to read, I would highly recommend that book. It's really good. I think you'd really like it. I will. Last question. I texted Dan, is there any good question to ask Bella? And he said, (laughs) (laughs) he said, uh, Oh God. What? What would you be doing if you weren't a professional ballerina? That's a hard question. And I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I love performing so much. So I'm like, maybe I would be some kind of performer. Um, I can't sing. So that's out of the question. Um, (laughs) What would I be doing? I also like, honestly, I was quite a nerd in school, like humongous nerd. And I loved science. So maybe science, something in science. Although I feel like that's a very solitary life and I'm so extroverted I don't know if I could handle being like in a lab all day by myself (laughs) yeah you would have to balance it in some way totally what about writing would you write maybe writing actually I've always been really into like creative writing um so maybe I don't know yeah maybe I'll write a book one day who knows Okay, well, you've been so generous with your time. I want everyone to... I always am like so inspired talking to you, whether it's like, you know, while you're working on me on the table or just like (laughs) as a friend. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You and Sarah are the best. Thank you. I'm going to point everyone to your Instagram. 
cool. You're also extremely generous with your time and energy on Instagram, especially now with COVID. You're sharing these dance classes. You let your personality come out. It's just, it's really fun to follow your Instagram. Um, Thank you. I also noticed you got YouTube videos up. You're doing a ton yeah. of stuff. You have a book club. Yeah, I'm just trying to stay busy and connect with people. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Rory. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a five-star review. Every listener matters to us, so please leave your comments along the way to let us know how we're doing. Until next time, wishing you all the wealth, health, and happiness in the world.